Bruce Cardenas is a multifaceted executive with an unwavering commitment to excellence. These guys have been breaking ground for the last several years and Bruce has been right at the forefront. I don't really care who you are, I'm just here to do a service. Has led a remarkable journey filled with diverse accomplishments and a profound impact on the business world. I enjoyed making money, I enjoyed having money. Even at 12 years old, I'd have a little tin can and I'd keep money in it. I think I put everything in my life secondary to my business. From his early years in the United States Marine Corps to his pivotal role as the former Chief Communications Officer of Quest Nutrition, Bruce's story is one of dedication, perseverance, and genuine passion for fostering meaningful connections. Bruce, an absolute honor to have you on this Modern Warrior podcast. And I'd say if you looked up the word warrior on a dictionary they'd find your name right next to it and <laughs> I have looked through your career and what a colorful career you've had up to this point and it continues to flourish incredible story incredible experiences incredible journey you've been on and I know you'll have a lot of valuable insights and knowledge and wisdom bombs for the listeners today based on everything you've gone through up to this point. And before we speak about some of the good work you're doing right now, I'm very interested to know the sort of influences you had in your earlier life that have created the man you've become or the man you did become in, in your adulthood through the jobs that you had you know you spent time in the military you spent spent time with LAPD you then started your own security company you've then gone on to uh, help with quest nutrition so uh, and again as I said this this career begins to uh, to open up new avenues for you in your life so what have been some of the greatest influences in your early life that's brought you to this point today do you think I mean, I'll say this for sure. My father, um, you know, I grew up very middle class in a very, very small town, a steel mill town in, in New Jersey. I think it's one of the older, older towns in the country. It used to make uh, cannonballs and stuff for the early wars back in the early 1800s. But we grew up very middle class. I was one of five kids. And, uh, you know, my father was a union electrician and then started his own contracting business. And my mom, they always worked job. My mom worked one or two jobs and but my father had a really great work ethic. And it's interesting. Back then, they would have called him a workaholic. Now they call you an entrepreneur. <laughs> um, and uh, But he was a, a great, I mean, he was probably my biggest influence because he became, even though he wasn't per se athletic, he was fit and, he, and, he, and he, he just worked construction. So he was very strong. But he still got involved with our coaching for Little League and football because I think he wanted to be part of our upbringing. So he was always still there to help us. And then he became our, uh, the, this, the town scout leader. So he was probably my biggest influence. Um, even though, you know, you go through those phases. I was talking about that recently as a kid, you know. When you're younger, you admire your parents. And then you get to that teenage. And then you kind of start resenting them. And uh, so we had, you know, we had some falling outs throughout my older years as a teenager. 
And then you grow to, you know, respect them again once you're an adult. But he was definitely my biggest influence. And then the other person was probably the local police chief in my small town, six man department. He knew me since I was a little boy. And he's the same guy that when I got out of high school, I always wanted to be a cop. Now, I didn't have a path to get there. I knew I wanted to be a cop. My uncle was a decorated sergeant in Philadelphia. He died in a lot of duty. And my and my neighbor was a colonel for the for the state state police. So I knew all these police officers. And, and when I graduated high school, I was kind of a, I was a, honestly, I was a D student. If I got a C or B, my parents were elated. I was a daydreamer in school. Athletic, but a daydreamer. And um, I went to the chief at, uh, about a year out of high school and said, hey, I, I want to join the department. And in his own kind words, he said, you're young, you're immature, you're not ready. But if you go in the Marine Corps, he didn't say to the British, the Marine Corps, and he was a former Marine Corps vet, I'll hire you the day you get out. So that was that that put me on a whole different trajectory of getting out of that small town. But those are the two biggest influences, my dad and the police chief at that time. And my wrestling coach, of course, who influenced me to never quit. Because there's let me tell you, I don't you know, if anyone's done sports through high school. I don't care who you are. There's times when you're like, I want to quit. I, this is bullshit. You know, rolling under the mats and sweating. And and at some point, and he kept he kept me engaged and like, you know, there's no quitting. And so I had a couple good, I had some good influences when I was a kid, to be honest with you. What were some of the main lessons do you believe you've derived from those influences that inspired you to become the man you are? I think the biggest, one single Biggest thing and it is truly work ethic and honesty. And work ethic is a very loose word. Sometimes people, oh, I, I can outwork everyone. It doesn't really per se mean you put in more hours, but to be driven for a mission, my work ethic was, you know, it's still to this day. You know, my father had a great work ethic. He taught me a lot of lessons, how to respect people. I remember one crazy one lesson I, I went, I used to go with him on the job site sometime and, you know, he'd always pay me. I might have been maybe 16. And he said, hey, do you want to join me on Saturday? I got to finish this job. And we got there. And this big lesson on big lesson on how to treat people and also work ethic. And we're there at his crews doing some stuff. And I and he starts digging this ditch. And he had to run this conduit, you know, thir- three feet deep. And he's digging this ditch. And I remember the guy, a couple of the guys were uh, doing other things. And I said, hey, how come, you know, you're the owner of the company. How come you're, how come you're digging this ditch? And he said, yeah, good point. And he hands me the shovel. And I says, hey, you got to be this deep. And it's got to go that 10 feet. And, and, and we break for lunch at, at, at 11.45. And I was so pissed off that he handed me the shovel because I'm thinking he's going to give me some you know easy job. And I kind of resented him the whole day. We got in the truck and driving home. He said, I know you're kind of pissed off. But he goes, you know, I lead by example. He goes, the reason I was digging that ditch, he goes, I could have handed the shovel to anyone. He goes, hey, I need you were there to work. I want you to learn some good work ethic. But I need my team to see that I'm willing to do anything. I'm not just showing up with a clipboard saying, do this. He goes, I dig ditches. I run wire. I climb telephone poles. I got to do whatever it takes to get the job done. And I really learned that. It helped me even when I got involved with LAPD, with the Quest. I quickly learned that too many people, they'll say, this is my, this is my job. Here's my, it's my lane. I'm in, this is not, I'm, I, and, and I'd say, listen, it may not be your job, but if someone needs help, jump in there right it doesn't have to be your it doesn't have to be in your lane and too many people are just strictly i get paid to do just this in the company i clock in at nine i leave at five and i don't care if the trash can's full i don't care if the bathroom's dirty that's not my job that's someone else's job and honestly i always encourage people if you lead by example i i i'll pick i'll empty the trash i did that all through quest and 
And that's another, we can talk more about that, but that paved my way for some really good success at that company. How do you find the balance between that and delegating work to people then? Um, delegation is really important. I think as long as you're willing to show somebody, there's too many leaders, I think, that'll say, here, go do this. And, and I think if you're willing to show them what that task is, and even guide them, and then people are more excited, I think, to do it for you. If you're just like, hey, go do this, go empty, run around, empty all trash cans, as, as simple as that sounds, I think they need to see by leadership that you're willing to do the same thing. But ta- yeah, yeah, of course, you have to, ta- you have to, you have to, uh, you know, make tasks and, hold on, someone, um, yeah, you have to delegate and make tasks, but I think as long as you make people feel valued and important in doing those tasks and not a meaningless, like, to me, I think the janitor is just as important as the COO. You know what I mean? Everyone, so as long as you make them feel valued, I think people will do anything for you. Mm-hmm. They'll walk through fire as long as they they value and respect you. You mentioned honesty there. So where did that come in for you? Um, I think, honest, you know, listen, whether you want to say it's a hard day's work or honest day's work, I think one of my partners, when I started the security company, I'll give you an example. We we were getting some bids. There was a couple guys that were probably more unethical. And his favorite word was, and I use it now, is not all money is good money. My point is, Neil, I don't really want to work with people that are not honest. I mean, in the, especially in the security business, and even in the nutrition business, there's a lot of ways to make money, probably cut corners, do side deals. And I quickly learned I'd rather just work with someone that's just honest because in the long run, I've been, you know, I've been in this game for a long time and I've seen people come and go, go to prison, go to federal prison in the nutrition space for, you know, bad labeling and, and, and illegal products um, in the security business for, for doing illegal things. I, I, I probably know a dozen people that I've worked pretty closely with that have gone to prison, including when I was a cop, the, we call the Rodney King incident back in the day. I worked with some of those guys before the Roddy Kingers. They went to prison. So I think sometimes honesty, and I may sound kind of cliche, but keeping your moral compass north, is okay. It's, it's okay to do that. You know, I think too many people now, and it's kind of crazy. I've learned this, and it's been a little awkward for me. And I got to figure out how I'm going how I'm to navigate these waters when it comes to public speaking. A lot of people now, will they, they will say, well, it's their truth. Like someone will tell a story and I'll go, that's not true. Like, cause I knew it. Cause I lived some of these, like the quest story. I, I was inside. I know the intimate details, but there's people that have now gone on and left quest and tell a story. And I told someone, I sent an article. I said, you know, here's the truth about quest. Here's, here's the actual founder. Here's how it went down. And they said, well, that's, that's their truth. And I go, what does that mean? Like here, I, I lived it. Like I, I, I lived it. I, I experienced it. And they said, well, but you know, Bruce, everyone has their version of what the truth is. And I've come to realize it's in modern day society now, people will modify the truth or even flat out lie to to better themselves. So I, I have a problem with that. I, I, I got to figure out how to massage that. Or do I accept it and just keep myself true to what I do? Mm-hmm. It's like their opinions matter more than the facts. Yeah. And, or people's success. So... Mm-hmm. So you spoke a lot about your father there. Yeah. What sort of role did your mother play in your upbringing? I know she had a lot of these. I got to tell you, it, it, in, in, when you're living in that world, you know, like I said, we we're a middle class, middle class family. I was one of five kids. I don't think we ever wanted for anything. So when you live in that, when you live in that circle, that's what you know, right? 
we had our, you know, I think we had a lot of good times. We did family vacations, very, you know, basic with a little camper and traveled around. Did a lot of hiking. But my mom, who was an alcoholic, who at the time I didn't know what that meant. I remember mom would fall asleep on the couch with a, you know, a bottle of wine. And almost, I don't want to say every night, but pretty regular watching TV. And my dad would help her get to bed. And I thought that was just, how do you know different, right? Mom's having a couple of glasses of wine to relax. And, and I didn't register in my brain what that meant until we had a family meeting. And my dad said, listen, your mom's got to get help. This is not working. You know, it's really destroying. It was destroying him. And, and they, he was talking about, he didn't use the word leaving, but there's got to be major changes or I, I don't think I could deal with this. And, and she ended up, you know, getting involved with AA and proudly was sober for the rest of her life. But it was a struggle, and I didn't realize this at the time until I became an adult, that alcoholism ran away. Her, her mother was an alcoholic. Her father was an alcoholic. My older brother, who died just last year, he's older than me, but he, he, had, he had been at drugs and alcohol his entire life and had, you know, liver damage, you know, one of his causes of death. My younger brother almost dragged himself to death, got through law school, ran up all credit card bills, but he was a, he was a drunk. He ended up getting a divorce, so... Looking back now, uh, and you know, in, in that I realized how bad it was in the family, but when you live it, that's what you know, right? It'd almost be like an abusive relationship. That's all you know. And um, I think I, I avoided that bullet, maybe subconsciously. I, I never really talked to someone too deep about it, but I've never drank. I mean, I've, I think on, I've been, I've been buzzed maybe 10 times, including my 23rd birthday. The first time I got drunk, you know, was in Japan with in the Marine Corps. I think I subconsciously have avoided that bullet while I may have other addictions like working out or working hard or, or working a lot of hours. I saw what, what, it, what it caused, you know, so it, 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 it could be a bad thing, uh, in life. And, and you know what, one thing I always say, cause my friends are sometimes, Oh, you don't drink. And I always say, well, I, I, what did I miss? Never got a DUI, never woke up, you know, laying over a toilet bowl, throwing up. So it's not like, I don't think I've ever missed anything. If anything, I've been probably better to be at a party, you know, enjoying it sober. So that's my story. So your brothers had some sort of uh, negative effect based on on the uh, upbringing in terms of your mother's situation and, you know, alcoholism, as they say, can run the family. How do you think you managed to dodge that bullet? I mean, it's it's almost as if you managed to go down one road and your brothers went a different direction. What happened there, do you think? I don't know. I, I think, I, you know, I was I was always involved with sports and always involved with work. I, I've always worked. I think my first job, I had a paper route and I worked in a local market. If I wasn't in school or doing sports, I was working. And I think that was my, I, I, I'll be honest, I enjoyed making money. I enjoyed having money. Even at 12 years old, I'd have a little tin can and I'd keep money it in. That was my eye, uh, why why my older brother, crazy enough, that same exact time, he was get, literally getting high and he would sometimes come to me and, hey, can I borrow five bucks? And I, I had a, I mean, think about this. When you're 12 and 13 years old, you got a tin can with maybe 300 bucks in it. That That's a million dollars. I mean, that's, that, I was rich. So that was my high. I'd made money and I'd keep it, I'd count it and, I, and I'm dating myself, but that was even back when you literally went to a bank and had like a book, a passbook that they would stamp and you'd write the amount in. So that was my escape, I think, making money and working in sports. 
what was the or what has been the cost of that for you in terms of the pursuit of money and success do you believe what's been the cost mm. on me personally uh yeah i mean and from a negative I, I yeah i went through a divorce i kind of had a great relationship and uh and and great partner and i i literally let money and success get to my head i really i blew up my secure my security you know i keep on i was a police officer at the time making a civil service salary i started the security company and within four years and even though whether it sounds like a lot of money or not there was a year i, I paid myself eight hundred thousand dollars u.s money and why that's kind of crazy because nowadays people, even billionaires, pay themselves like fifty thousand, right? So I didn't know enough about money. I just knew this money was coming in. And that's why I paid tax on. But my point is, I became. I thought I was all that, to be honest with you. And I don't want to say I outgrew the relationship, but that cost me my relationship. And then as quickly as that happened with the money, one thing is I didn't know how to manage. I didn't. I was. I didn't go on some spending sprees. I I saved it. We bought big houses. But what happened was, I remember my bookkeeper at the time. And I talk about this often because now the circle I run in, I, I run in a circle of people that know about money or they loan money or borrow money or they're, they're, they're influential people that I can easily go to and say, I need money. But at the time, the security company was doing pretty well. And I remember my bookkeeper called me and I didn't have an account. I just had a bookkeeper, a nice woman who worked from her house. And she said, hey, Bruce, your payroll is due Friday. The payroll is $75,000. That's okay. Great. Right? We're doing well. She goes, the problem is you only have 35000 in the bank. I'm like, okay. She goes, you, the problem is these studios like Fox Studios and Sony and these big picture companies, they, like everywhere in the world, they'll pay you 30, 60, 90 days out. They'll keep, they'll keep your money as long as they can and not give it a second thought. And they're billion-dollar brands. So what happened was another a, a pitfall. I scrambled and I actually cashed out my partial pension from the LAPD because I left early, but I had you know, money there. I cashed that out just to make my payroll, which was a really dumb move because now I'd be getting that pension. But once again, another example of a failure because I didn't know enough and I didn't ask for help. And I was too like, you got your ego the way I couldn't ask my parents for money. I was going to ask to borrow money because they'd be like, wait, you just, you just paid yourself 800 grand last year and now you can't make payroll. Like what's that mean? So big lesson, lost the marriage you know, bankrupt a company basically I had to restart because I didn't know about cash flow. It's interesting. I talk to people all the time about that. Now people get in that, get in that rut. They could be making millions of dollars. Also, they just run out of cash. They can't keep producing. So it's something you really got to be con you know, cognizant of. So aside from seeking help, what else would you have done differently in that situation? Um, I think I would have had a better, I, I, while I knew a lot of people, I think I would have had a better network of, of, of mentors. Uh, you know, everyone, even now I have mentors and, and people that guide me or I could call on anyone. I didn't have any of that. So I would have done that much better. Build, building better, even though I was a relate, I think I'm a relationship person and I do very well at it. I would have built, built stronger relationships that I would have trust and been able to lean on people. I think, I think sometimes we have relationships, but they're more superficial. Yes. And they're really only tested in those difficulties, aren't they? That's when you know. Exactly. Yeah. And I always, you know, practice, I, and I've always practiced, I always like to bring value to other people, and that's really, that's my forte. I always like to make deposits into people's accounts, per se, and, and then, it, you know, I feel it 
I feel it's it's much easier when you need to ask a favor if you made a lot of deposits to help other people. So now I that's what I practice. I always want to give, give, give. And even now with what I'm trying to do now, it's a lot easier for me to ask someone to be on their podcast or be on their show or or, or speak at their event because I've done nothing but give them, you know? Yes, you continue to give. I appreciate that. So you go from the Marine Corps. Was the Marine Corps for you at the time simply a gateway to join the LAPD or did it become more than that for you? Yeah, 100%. So growing up, you know, in New Jersey, which is a pretty small state, I thought, you know, when you grow up someplace, you think that's it. That was my, that was there. What else is there, right? I think I went on a trip to New York City one time in, in school for a play, but when I went in the Marine Corps, I realized there's a big world out here. A, you grow up. I mean, you're in the Marine Corps. You're yes, sir, no, sir. You learn all these rules and regulations. You literally, I became physically fit. I got shredded. I lost 30 pounds in boot camp. Um, and and you learn a lot and you grow up. And then I realized that that was going to be my pathway to be a cop. I always thought I was going to go back home to New Jersey and be a state trooper. Just that once I was exposed to the world, I ended up in California for a powerlifting event. And that's where I, you know, saw, wow, California is beautiful. And they had a career day going on on base. And so that was what led me to the LAPD, just being in California. But it definitely, I say this to everyone, if you don't have a clear path and you're at that age and, you know, maybe college is the answer. I'm not a big advocate either way at college. I think college is important if you need to be a doctor or a lawyer or something that needs a certain degree. But I think if you're just not clearing your path, the military, maybe not the Marine Corps, because that's not for everyone. And maybe it's not safe because of all the combat that's going on. But Air Force, Navy, there's such great benefits, free school. I mean, you could do anything you want, get a free college if you want. So I recommend it to people if they don't know what their what their path is. When you joined LAPD, did you think that was it? Do you think that was you set up for life then? Was that, was that uh, like yeah. you reaching your ultimate goal at that at that time i think so at the time yeah because you know listen part of it is it's a career you know there's benefits there's a lot of perks and i think that was it but what happened was i shortly after i got off probation i started working off duty doing security because i did security in the marine corps and i wanted to make extra money as a cop and there was a retired sergeant from beverly hills and I, he had a security business so i started working for him and then that opened up many other doors. Once I worked for him for about a year, I realized, wow, I, I, I could do this. I could start. I started my own business. And what happened was the security started outpacing the police department where I was making this money. And honestly, I think I left because of time management. Time management mostly. I couldn't figure out how, because my, you know, it, security business, depending on how you want to do it, I was in the personal protection business, right? So people wanted me one-on-one. And it was, it, it's hard to scale, right? I tried it a couple of times, but it kept coming back to, Bruce, where are you? We need you to meet us at this event. We need you to fly to New York with us. We need you to say it kept becoming that. And I just couldn't scale myself. And uh, what was my point to that is, so I couldn't do both. I mean, I, I was stealing from Peter to pay Paul, as you say. So I left the department. Now I'm still a reserve with the sheriffs. So I've been involved with Police work now for thirty years, so I'm still I've been a reserve now for seventeen years, so I still stay active. I work a couple shifts a month, involved in fundraising. But so I I always I always love the poli- the law enforcement field. It is a little you know there is something about being like a civil servant because I would have been long retired and I have friends of mine that are retired and I don't necessarily that retirement is for me, 
but there's a certain sense of security. I think if you do your 20 or 30 years and you have a pension and medical, but you know, that did, that didn't work out. I, I became an entrepreneur. So, mm -hmm. which is great too. So the security business really began to t take off you over those years. And I mean, you've, you've yeah. done security for some, some big names there, Mel Gibson, Jim Carrey, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like these are, these are high end celebrities yeah. and celebrities. So talk to us about that. Yeah what, yeah. what happened was I, so I started my own business. I knew a handful of people and, and, and I had a client, I still have to stay 30, he's 30 years. He's the, he's, he's his biggest thing. He's a, he's a financier, but he owns Revlon cosmetics. He's been a client for 30 years, but what happened was simultaneously, one of my best friends owned, owned a private chauffeur limousine service you know, cars and, and we became really fast friends. And I say, Hey, I started this security business. His name's Charlie. And, uh, you know, if you have any clients and, and he, he helped me out a lot, I ended up having my office inside of his building and he would call me. And a lot of the things I got were referred by him. And I picked up like Courtney love for a decade and, uh, Sony music, Sony music became one of my biggest clients. I was doing all the artists from Mariah Carey to Ricky Martin and Mark Anthony. They just kept, they just kept coming because once I was referred, you pick up one person, then I could just call another person. Hey, I'm doing so-and-so security. So that's what kind of parlayed it. And, but I, but I test the success of that was really my relationship that I was able to build. Not so much with the artists. I always tell people this security is an interesting thing. As much as I'm a, a extrovert when it comes to the nutrition business, or talking or speaking when in the security business, you're much more of an introvert. And my success came from literally not talking to people, not engaging, not getting people's business. And I used to pick up accounts because management would call me and say, Hey Bruce, we really want you to pick up so-and-so. I picked up Mike Tyson and uh, Lauren Hill and Lauren Hill's team said, the reason we want to hire you is because she has too many people in her circle, like a pot. I call it the posse, right? And they can't, they can't help themselves to get their business. And to me, I don't really care who you are. I'm just here to do a service. And I would literally, I could tell you this right now. I could be with someone for three days straight and there might be six words said, good morning, good afternoon, Bruce, how long does it take till we get there? 25 minutes. Okay, great. There's no, and sometimes my friends will say, what do you talk to your clients about? I said, and I, when I say nothing, they're like, what do you mean? I said, I have to switch gears mentally. I have the social yeah, I call it social cues or EQs, whatever people refer to, that no, I'm there to provide a service. The minute you think you're more than that to these clients, I had a client, the chairman of a big music company say to me one time, we'll have a long relationship as long as you keep it professional. The minute you start wanting to talk to my wife or my kids or anything, it won't work out. And and people can't grasp that. The, the other thing I found out recently, someone said, it's, it's impulse control. Imagine being around these high level people and they're having a conversation right next to you, even if it's not. I've had people literally say things that aren't true. They're thinking, oh, hey, we should go here. It's going to take us 10 minutes. I could easily say, well, that's actually going to take an hour, but I'm not part of their conversation. And people, impulse control is don't get involved with their conversation because they're not asking you. Now, if they turn to me and say, Bruce, we're thinking about doing this. I don't think we should do that. Okay, so that's another thing. And I learned how to switched years in my brain. And a lot of people in this insecurity cannot do that. They think I overheard them talk about going to the dog park. Let me, in, it, let me insert myself in their conversation. And that's where you fail. So. Was that a challenge to you? Or did that come quite naturally? Well, I don't even know where I got that skill, but it came quite naturally. 
And it's uh, and even now to this day, because I have a couple of high profile clients, one, one of the wealthiest guys in the country. And I'm with them all the time. And there's things that are said and I'm like, well, that's not right. Or I know that. And until they turn to me and say, here's what we're, hey, Bruce, what you, here's what we're doing. And then I tell them, oh, really? Because we're, you asked my opinion, I'm just sharing it, you know, boom. It's, it's, it's not, it's easy for me, but it's very hard for people. Um, yeah, yeah. We're, uh, one of my clients has a house here in, in LA and we take care of the security there. I was there a couple weeks ago and the pool, the guy that cleans the pool came, the owner of the pool company and he had an assistant with him and he does nothing but high end pools. But the assistant saw my client and literally walked up and said, man, I love your work. I just got to tell you, I love your work. And and he's like, okay, thank you. And the, and the house manager later said, hey, you know, the reason we hired you is because you're not getting our business. And his exact words were, I couldn't help myself when I saw him. That's the difference between a professional or not. Like, I said, yeah, I may admire your work, but think about this, a celebrity or an artist, a musician. How many times a day is someone, oh my God, I love your work. I love your work. What, it, it's just, it, it's, uh, it's noise to them, right? especially the privacy of their home they're sitting at their pool. And so I social cues is really important. By the way, it's important in all aspects of life. And I have friends of mine that don't have social cues. Like I can't take them certain places because I know that they can't adapt to that environment. Yeah, I get you. It's, uh, but, but, it's, it's, it's like what you said earlier about treating the janitor the same way as the, the CEO. Isn't it like you know, the, the, at the end of the day, Although they are celebrities, they are also human beings. They're all human beings. And the more I've been around them, the more I, I relate. They have, you know, while they say money doesn't, you know, once it doesn't make happiness, I think it could help with that. But money just facilitates things. But I do notice celebrities or even wealthy people have the same problems. There's still family members still die of cancer. They still have challenges. They still have men mental illness. They still have alcoholism. They still have drug problems. So... Nothing changes. They just have a different set of problems. But has everyone been, has. A... Has there been anyone in particular there that you've worked with over the years that you particularly enjoyed working with? Yeah, for sure. A couple people that a they were very respectful, and I think they appreciated what I did with Charlie Sheen. You remember Charlie Sheen, right? He and while he's an interesting guy and has had some challenges, you know, kind of went off the rails. Always respectful. Always. A good person to be around. Um, Mariah Carey was all very respectful to me, but I, you know, kept my distance. I did a lot of things for her, but I, I was service. I'm, I'm a servant leader, so I was always thinking about what they needed in advance, always planning. And I remember one, she was a particular said, you know, you, have you ever thought about, um, you know, doing a, be, being a manager in in this business? I said, not really. Well, you should because you're always thinking ahead. You're actually doing more than most managers would do. I didn't do anything to like stand out. I would just always think ahead on what they needed from the dressing room to a travel to stuff in the car, water in their dressing room. And, and, and I always go above and beyond. So there's some people that have been very enjoyable and others, you know, there's that saying, um, you know, about meeting your heroes. Sometimes it was, we wish you didn't like you admired them a certain way. There's been some of those, which I'll, I mean, they're still alive. So they'll remain, remain nameless, but there's been some that in real life I'm like, wow, okay, you're 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 not the nicest person, but I can't really you can't really pick who you work with sometimes, you know. So, out out of all of those careers, yeah, which one do you miss the most? 
gosh. Well, I'm still dabbling in security. I like I like the security. I, I, I miss being engaged all the time traveling, I think. Because there's a lot of planning, a lot of thinking, a lot of, you know, inter engaging with, with whether it's fans or stalkers, but I like that. I I, I I say I don't miss being a cop full time because it's it, it is a grind. I like being a reserve that I can work when I want and, and part time. Um I mean police works change. I'm not sure if, if police are as appreciated. It is a tough gig and you know, uh you know, a lot of politics involved, but I've still enjoyed it. I think it's a great I think it's great to give back to the community and serve people. So I don't know what I don't know what I missed because I'm still engaged with quite a few things. Yeah, you're still in the security business too, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, that's the yeah problem. security and then the and the nutrition space for sure. What was the greatest challenge for you when it came to the security business? Um, the greatest challenge um, from, from a personal from a personal perspective. Well, I definitely, I definitely, I definitely put the business first, and it did cost me a relationship. I mean, I became. No, everything about my life was the security. Like I'd cancel holidays, or I, the custom, the clients always came first. And it was once again where I felt like if I if I wasn't going to be there to do a job, it wasn't going to get going to get done right. To be able to trust and empower people. But on the other hand, I had a couple of good people, but I also lost. I mean, I sent someone to Mexico with J Lo back in the day, and they got too comfortable, and you know they came back with a bad report card, and the, and I lost the account. So. Yeah, it goes back to social cues. I mean, they got too they got too close, too many conversations, and they just weren't comfortable around that person. So, you lost the relationship, or you lost your marriage during those years, was it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Is is that yeah, exactly. is that a regret? Is that something that if you had an opportunity today, would you go back and undo something there to to change yeah. that course? Or yeah, for sure. For sure, because that's what conversation her and I had later. She goes, you know, I would have, if you're just honest with me, I mean, I would have been there to support you. Um, yeah, I think I just put, I think I put everything in my life secondary to my business instead of finding a true balance and and making everything work, you know, in sync. I I I, I put it, I I didn't prior prioritize things at that time. Now I have much more of a be able to prior, you know prioritize things. What were some of the lessons you had to take on board in order to make that change in terms of identifying what was actually important to you and and coming up with a whole new set of priorities? Well, I think I think losing some relationships and memories. I mean, listen, uh, you only have uh, what? Who do I follow on social media? I actually know him, uh, Jesse Isler. He's a pretty wealthy guy. He owns a he made his money from uh, Marquis Jet, which was a client back in the day. He didn't even know me then. But he says it best. He goes, you only have so many experiences you're going to experience in life, right? You're only going to go on so many vacations, so many excursions. And he even says in social media, he goes, right now, he's like 50 years old. He goes, if I calculate it out, he goes, I'm going to only have so many, let's say 40 excursions and so many. And I looked at it. I started looking at it that way that like, listen, I only, I only have so many opportunities that I'm going to have with my kids, with my friends, with my clients. And how do I balance it out? Because at the end of the day, no matter how great we think we are, if I was gone today, my client's assistant would be on the phone and saying, hey, can you know, to so-and-so, can you provide us a service? Bruce is no longer with us. And I, and even though 
we don't want to believe that it's fact and and same thing with our family if we if we're gone today someone's been there's been something floating around the social media basically like, hey in so many years none of it's going to matter right like i right now it's crazy my kids i have a bunch of memorabilia just I've collected over years and some cool stuff like Muhammad Ali gave me a boxing gloves at his birth 50th birthday party. And I got some really cool personal memorabilia that I have. I have like in these plastic totes. And a couple months ago, my kids were kind of moving stuff around. I go, what is all this stuff, dad? Oh my God, that's this. And that's that. And that, that's a picture. So-and-so now that, that guitar was gifted to me by Sting. And they said "Dad, you know, when you're gone, we're throwing all this shit away. <laughs> and I'm like, he goes, that, it means something to you, but when it, it means nothing to no, anyone else. And it really hit me home. I was like, wow, you're right. It means nothing to anyone else. It only means something to me. And when I'm gone, it's gone. So we're, none of us are really that important. So I really had to prioritize. Listen, wow, I'm going to be gone. All these memories mean nothing to anyone but me. I mean, yeah, and, and, and the time I have with my kids or my family or even my exes or you got to really maximize it. Business, we need, yeah, we need, we need money facilitates things in life, right? But that's it. It just facilitates things. The clients really don't care about us. We're just, we're, we're interchangeable. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Obstruct truth. How did you go from the security or was that, did that kind of merge with the, with the quest nutrition journey? Uh, no, this, the, the quest thing happened, which was probably the most interesting story. It was probably a book itself. I, Worked out at a local gym in LA and the founder of Quest, she goes by Quest creator, Shannon, worked out in that same gym with her husband, Ron. At, you know, you know, you're at a gym, so you see the same people all the time, make small talk in the morning, whatever. And and I, I remember one day she said, hey, we have this, we started this, you know, protein bar company. And she gave me a couple samples. And I remember at that time, you know, protein bars were okay. They weren't that great. And I, and I remember I saw her the next week. I said, those protein bars were really amazing, Shannon. Um, only had two flavors, and I said, "I don't know if you're interested, but I'm doing a celebrity. Uh, was it a golf tournament at, at at Riviera Country Club? I'm doing this event. I'm doing the security, but my friends running the publicity. If you want to get me some product, uh, I'll get it in some people's hands." And they're like, "Oh wow, that'd be great!" So, at the time, it was such a small company. They gave me a few boxes of bars. I remember going to my friend who was doing the publicity, and this was before social media, no Twitter, no Instagram, nothing. Facebook just started. And uh, I got some product. My friend got did some videos and some blogs, and I got that all together. And I remember I sent it to them, some pictures. They're like, oh, my God, how do you know these people? There was like some B actors. I said, well, this is what I, you know, I do security, but, you know, I'm glad you gave me the bars. And I, so I, I started, I kept doing that. And they kept giving me product. And I was on a set of Extra, which was hosted by Mario Lopez. And I remember he, I brought him product. We were doing security, and he, he was giving it out on camera. And, uh, we, I would maintain the relationship, and I remember I visited the Quest office, which was down in the hood. It was literally in the ghetto, in this little tiny strip industrial park, which was run down, no sign of, like, success. And I went in their offices, and they had these tiny little office and a uh, couple employees, and I thought, wow, like, I wonder if they'll even be in business in six months. But what happened was I kept helping them, hung out a little bit, and about nine months in, Ron... We went to lunch and he said, hey, um, we feel like we're stealing from you. You're, you're bringing all this value to us. You've not asked for anything in return. We want to put you on the payroll. 
And uh, I said, no, it's not necessary. I said, no, no, we're going to put you on the payroll. Um, keep doing, keep doing your day job, keep doing your security. We just feel like we're, we want to compensate you. So once they started paying me, talk about work ethic. And I think how I grew up, once I started getting paid, I was like, oh, wow. Now I've really got to prove myself. And over the course of time, their why, I didn't even know if they had a why per se or they were producing these great bars. It really became my why. It was much more exciting and interesting. And people were writing us saying, hey, I lost 30 pounds over the last few months. It's been a go-to snack. People with celiac disease, people with gut issues would write us and say, wow, finally something I could eat. And I, I, this, is, this is where I really figured out about bringing value to people and asking nothing in return. And when I say that, I did anything the company needed. I built out the events department, the ambassador program, all the opportunities. Like what happened was I would go to these events and, and I got us involved with CrossFit. No one in the company really wanted to do it. The sales guys just worked internally and I would travel and they would tell me about accounts that were buying and I'd go visit them. And nine years later, you know, it was a span of nine years, I became the chief communications officer. I built out all these different departments and hired all the PR departments we used. And and that was that was a that was the Reader's Digest version. But I did anything and everything it took. I'd stay till late at night. I'd find I'd always be thinking about opportunities for the company, how we could grow it. And we sold for a billion dollars to Atkins um, a few years ago. Your work ethic was already through the roof with the security company company, wasn't it? And then you bring this yeah, into the like... into the fore, and it's almost like your work ethic goes to a whole new level. Yeah. And I, and I just, I had, I had no limited belief. I mean, I thought, well, cause the good, it was such a new company and you know, one, one of the founders was in charge of R and D one was in charge of production and uh, finance and one was marketing and sales. And I just did what I did. Like I found these opportunities and I pursued them and I gotten, gotten, gotten people's hands and, I gotten some pretty big influential hands. I remember we met Ronda Rousey, the former UFC fighter. We met her at a at an expo, and we hit it off. I got her some product, and we got, I got to the point where I was delivering the product to her house in Venice, and she would talk about us on social media. Uh, back in the day, Bruce Willis would talk about us. Will Smith. I mean, they would just talk about us organically. There was no there was no um, there was no paid. We didn't pay anyone. And I always tell people this: if you if you're familiar with the old movie called Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is they don't talk about it. And I would give people product. They say, what do you want me to do? Which I always tell people in business too, don't be that company where, hey, I'm going to send you something. Can you post about it? Send someone something. And if you, hey, if you, if you, if you like it, great. Like I, but I would tell people, I'm not asking you to talk about it. If you want, you want to enjoy the product, great. You want to share it with your friends, great. And I would, every time I told people not to talk about it, they would talk about it. They would go to social media and talk about it. So. I think that was one of our keys too. Like I intentionally did not, I would give people product with no expectation or no ask. And it always felt good on my end. And I think it felt good on their end. Cause you know, nowadays people, I even get people write me, Hey, can I send you some product? If you talk, if, you know, post about it on Instagram and it's just not a clean feeling for me. It's not authentic. Say it's not authentic too. Right. Cause I'm not going to post about it. If I don't like your, if I don't like your product. Right. Yeah. Well, so, for, force creates resistance, doesn't it? So, yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot of learnings and how to treat people and how to bring value. And it just, it just, it just amplified it. I, I was fortunate enough. I read this book, Delivering Happiness by Tony Shea, who uh, started Zappos. 
And I was fortunate enough to visit him in Vegas to their headquarters and we hit it off. But I kind of built out our, by the time we moved three times, like we had this section and I had all these on the wall delivering happiness and the wow factory. And I kind of believed all that stuff. Like I felt like I wanted people when they came to the headquarters to have a good experience. Like, 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 like Willy Wonka kind of like, Hey, I'm checking this out. It's going to be amazing. That's kind of what we created. So, and you've taken a lot of these things on board with you now, as you pursue the next venture or ventures in your life, well, what are some of the, what are some of the insights that now you've gained that you are starting to share with others? Um, I think a lot of insight. So I always say this, not only meet people's expectations, but exceed them. A lot of people will do the basics and not want to exceed or they just don't exceed. You know, I say go, go above beyond, you know, why is that important? Um, I think it should bring to bring value to listen, there's, I almost felt like at some point I became, I became almost irreplaceable at quest, not, not. Not from an ego standpoint, but like no one wanted to do what I did. I just kept bringing value and I kept exceeding their expectations. Um, and I kind of created the do whatever it takes attitude um, or can do attitude, whatever you want to call it. I just figured it out. And I remember there were things I didn't really know how to do, but I would figure it out. Um, you know, even the point we we moved into our second building and I know the guy, they said, hey, we should build like this lounge or area for when guests come. And over the holidays... We're pretty fortunate at Quest. We would shut down news literally like early, early Christmas Eve or even the day before that. We wouldn't open up till like January 3rd. We were shut down for like 10 full days. And I came in over that period of time and built out this lounge, painted the walls, put, put our car, blue was our color, put out blue carpet, did all these cool things. And they came back. And I remember I wasn't on property. I was off property. But when they walked through, they said, oh, Bruce must have been here over the holiday. They didn't even ask who did it. They just said, oh, Bruce must have come in. So I just kept, you know, and so I tell people just always do that. Deliver value. Don't ask any return. Exceed their expectations. Do whatever it takes to get things done. Have the discipline to do it, you know? And uh, learn from your mistakes. And this is yeah. something you're... you're and half my doing it. Yes. Very important. Yeah. Well, it's a passion, isn't it? So the fun sort of comes with passion. Passion, yeah. I, yes, I, I've been fortunate, and I i say this because i don't i i feel for some people like I'm, I'm glad i never got involved with like the widget business or selling canned corn or something i know someone's doing it but i'm like i feel so fortunate that i've been able to do things that i've enjoyed whether it's a product or a, a service or it's always been like it's always been it's always felt good for me you know why do you think you've been fortunate in, in that sense do you think you've from your characteristics, your persona, your energy that you somewhat attracted these things into your life? You know, it, it yeah, that that's def definitely true, even though, you know, it, not you know to brag about that, right? Because I always sometimes say, Oh, I got lucky this or I got lucky that. But even going back to the Marine Corps, I remember my first sergeant who was, you know, high ranking guy recommending me for a position and and uh I thought, well why and I said, well, why, why'd you pick me? He goes, I don't know. There's something about you. I like you. He goes, you have a good energy. You're positive. You're always like getting, making, making things happen. And then when the next thing happened, when I was, a, when I was a police officer, I got picked by my captain to go. There was a thing called the Christopher commission that was formed after the Rodney King incident. And it was just six, six people throughout the whole department were picked. And it was really just working with lawyers and, and looking up cases and finding use of forces. But I was picked to do that. 
And the same thing, I didn't go to law school, but my captain said, there's something about you, man. You got the right demeanor, you got the right attitude. And so when things keep happening like that and you have opportunities, it, I don't think it's no longer a lock. It's either whatever you're doing right. And I can't put my finger on it, because but but I feel like I, I always did the right things. Or I, I, I always, you know, I don't take favors, I give them. Mm. You know, like I said, going back to making deposits, I think I made a lot of deposits throughout all those careers to help other people. And then whether I did a withdrawal, people just said, hey, we want to we want to help you because because you've done for us you know and it's the work ethic as well isn't it yeah for sure yeah is that is that is the work ethic still at that level oh for sure yeah 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 people Just... can't hang with me <laughs> I have no my it's funny like my workout partner he still tells a story to this day I've had people at Quest Quest was easy to 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 use this as an example because I would people would come to me and. They'd either follow me on social media and say, oh, man, that looked really fun this weekend. Can I go on, Can I go to the next event with you? I say, yeah. Matter of fact, next weekend, we have a CrossFit event. Uh, meet me at whatever, 7 a.m. headquarters. And sometimes people would take up, take me up on it. And probably after the first day, they'd say, hey, do you really need me tomorrow? And i say, well, it's a two-day event, but you don't have to come back. And they usually wouldn't come back. And people would sometimes want to travel with me, and they travel with me. I remember my workout partner, who I still work out with to this day. He traveled with me to to Germany to uh, uh, what FIBO is the big fitness conference, and 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 I told him when we land, do not. He said, "I'm just going to rest for a bit." I said, "No, no, go with me. Stay up. Stay on. Stay on my schedule. So let's go. We got to go check out the expo. Make sure the booths on good." He goes, "No, I just need a minute." And he took a nap, and he didn't wake up for like a day. He slept for like 24 hours, and even when he came back, he couldn't. He did recover. So. What was my point to that? So I, I, I just, I, I just keep going. I mean, listen, there's always time to rest. And sometimes in my brain, I'll be like, okay, this is going to be a seven, this is going to be a seven day, this is going to be seven days I got to do this stuff. And then I know I could rest on the eighth day or whatever, but you just plow through it. And I think, is that normal? No, because I found many people can't hang. It's a small percentage. You know, I, I don't have that David Goggins attitude or anything. I just feel like I just have a work ethic and I want to get it done. I want to, I want to prove to people what I can accomplish. And uh, I don't want to let people down, so I don't know what what I what I you what that on. You don't know where that insatiable drive comes from. No, I can't. I can't. I don't know. I'd have to. I probably should have an answer, right? It would sound better, but I just uh, I don't know. I'm I, I'm always in 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 the mode of of proving and bringing value. This is uh, something you've taken from your father, though, isn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, had to be. Yeah, because yeah, he was the same way. He would go nonstop, work all day, then be building. He built this whole building at our at our at our. We had like a sports field. That he built this whole community building and and donated his time and money and and that was you know all his spare time. So I I would see him do that and I realized yeah it's it's always good to give back. There's actually a hiking trail named after him and my mom in our town. It's gone for like thirty miles because he got a bunch of Boy Scouts after even after I was long gone in the Marine Corps to do this trail. So he was just always giving. I saw him do that and I I think that's to me I guess in my brain I thought well that's how it's supposed to be right. I'm not supposed to just work nine to five. There's always something else you're supposed to be doing. Well, you're also leaving a legacy, aren't you? And he's, I think so, right? As he, as he has. Yeah. And I think it's important. You know, my son's an entrepreneur. He works hard. He's, he's not a nine to fiver. I think, I think sometimes it trickles down. Mm. Well, I think you're the proof of that, aren't you? 
Yes. And and, and your son gave me the proof of you. Yes. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'll give me an example. Like my son might, you know, talk about hitting home. My son has an alcohol problem. And uh, I don't know how to address it because he, he doesn't believe in AA. And uh we, we 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 we're having conversation now. Yeah. So it's 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 real time because he drinks every night. He works hard, but he drinks every night. And uh I don't I don't make excuses. I mean he he did two tours in Iraq and he and he has some you know he has some issues, some PTSD a little bit and some he got banged up, but that's his escape. But that's still like so it's still the alcoholism still is is around me, you know? Yeah. That's a stinger for sure. Yeah, yeah. All you can do is be there and be present for him. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Because I, I said, hey, listen, if AA is not the answer, well, there's got to be some answer, right? I don't know. Do you talk to the VA? Who do you talk to? But there's got to be an answer. Even. Do you feel any element of guilt there? No. No, not from that. Not from that because, I mean, no, no, I clearly don't because then you could say, oh, yeah, like if you grew up in a bad environment or, or a bad upbringing or abusive, I can't. It's not like I could say I did the following, you know, and contributed to that. What the what the work ethic though? Do you feel that that's something that you possibly deprived yourself of time with family or time with the kids? Yeah, that yeah for sure. Uh huh. And that could be a factor. Yeah. Yeah, you never know. Listen, I never know what goes on in someone's brain. Just like no one knows what goes on in my brain, right? Like. I, I ran away from drinking, even though I don't feel I did. Same thing. He there could be some some cause and effect from from what we experienced that I'm not aware of, you know. But that that's his escape. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can't you can't undo what's been done. You can yeah. only be the best you can be right now for for yourself yeah. and for him. Yeah. yeah. So that's another. Again, you talk about work ethic, or you talk about being present. That's another opportunity for you to to show up. Right. Well, very good, Bruce. I've been inspired by your story and really enjoys the conversation with you, my man. And I'm fired up. <clears throat> I think um, I appreciate. I think I'm a pretty hard worker, a pretty high work ethic. But uh, having spoken to you, I'm I'm only half arsonist. I think so. Uh, I've, I've got to take it off a couple. My dad, my dad used to say, "Don't half ass." No more than Larson, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Bruce, for anyone listening to this podcast, where can they find you, reach out to you, get in touch, check out your good work? Um, probably the easiest is Instagram, Bruce E. Cardenas, or then I have a website, which I just created, BruceCardenas.com. That's where I have my coaching and my, you know, setup there. You've got some speaking events coming up, but you're... Yeah, I'm working on, I go to a lot of events. I participate, I support them all. Um, and I've done a couple little little things, which is good for me right now because I need to get much more comfortable and acclimated to speaking in bigger, more, more, you know, bigger audiences per se. Yeah, well, I think uh, you're coming at the right time because there's a lot of people half arsed out there and a lot of people are a little bit fragile, perhaps, is yeah. of a better word. Um, yeah, and I think they need a man like yourself to inspire them to to level up and to and to progress towards something more meaningful in their own life. And of course, as they do that in their own in their own life, they'll impact people in their circle as well, which has a knocking effect with the whole world potentially. So, 
Right. Exactly. I appreciate your work, man. I appreciate the message. And I look forward to continue to support you and follow you as well. So thank you. Thank you very much for everything. Till next time, my man. Thank you. Thank you very much.